0: Things here in Minnesota starting to get a little colder, a little grayer, a little windier, and I always hate this time of year. I mean, I love the beauty of Minnesota in October, but I know what's coming, and that's the winter. Even though I was born and raised here, lived through it all my 61 years, I don't like winter. I don't do much in winter. I don't ice fish, I don't ski, I don't snowmobile. I usually sit inside until such time I have to go outside, warm up my car, and struggle to my next stop, wherever that may be. But this time of year presents probably the chore I hate the least. And that is having to bring my boat across a couple of bays and storing it. Well, first and foremost, it's bad because Now I'm not going to have that option to go out in the boat for another six, seven months until things warm up here. That Studio B that I call it, out on the lake in the boat, won't exist for at least six or seven months. But even more importantly, and the thing I hate more than that is, when we get to mid to late October, around here it gets colder, windier, grayer, and I've got to take this damn boat across Two or three bays, and uh, take it to be put up for the winter. Well, this time of year, it's not unusual to get in the boat, go across that bay, and have the temperature be about 50 degrees, the wind blowing. I have to struggle across the lake. When I finally get to where it's going to be stored, All they have is a bunch of these tiny, very thin slips, and they're all back-to-back, so you don't have a lot of room to maneuver. You're trying to get this boat in these tiny slips that just barely fit. You got the waves going, and man, I just can't do it. I mean, I can handle my boat. I don't have any problems with it, but when it comes to that and going over there, man, I don't like it. And every time I've had a problem with it, and it's taken a long time to put it in a slip. Now, I can put it in my slip, One try and no problems. But when I go over there, when it's cold and it's windy and the waves are going, (laughs) it's almost embarrassing. I feel like a kid trying to park a car who's never driven a car before. So this time, I'm going to call them up ahead of time and say, look, I'm bringing my boat over and I'm going to park it by the gas pumps. I'm going to tie it up there. And then you take it from there. I'm not going to try that bullshit. It's ridiculous. (laughs) The whole concept of putting the boat away for six or seven months is depressing enough. But when I have to make a fool out of myself in the process, nah, I'm not doing that shit anymore. I'm paying too much to have it stored. And uh, they're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) I'll let you know how it goes. Well, we've got a lot of things going on in this country. And... uh, We'll be talking about a number of them in this show. The first one I wanted to bring up is something we've talked about a lot, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill and the Reconciliation Build Back Better Bill. Now, that's the big one, the $3.5 trillion, and that's the stumbling block in getting both these things passed. And unfortunately, the stumbling block isn't with the Republicans. We know they're not going to vote for it. We're getting stumbling blocks within the Democratic Party, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. So there's some things going on as they're trying to negotiate this out. But if you watch the TV news, you keep hearing the talking heads say, well, it's stalled, it's troubled, we don't know what's going to happen. You can always count on the media to take the best possible situation or the worst possible situation and hype it up. Because all they're looking for is viewers, their media clickbait, and that's all they're doing. So when they tell you that all is lost and these bills are stalled and it may never happen, they aren't really telling you the truth. They know better than that. They know This almost has to get done, and there will be some negotiations. Unfortunately, Joe Manchin, this one senator in this small state that never mattered much to anybody, meaning Manchin, not the state. The state's cool. I like the state. But Joe Manchin hasn't meant much to anybody. He's a Democratic senator in a Republican state, and he often sides with Republicans. Why not just be a fucking Republican? But no, he doesn't do it. He's in the Democratic Party. And uh, he has a problem with this $3.5 trillion Build Back Better bill. And for the longest time, he wasn't saying what his problem with it is. So you can't negotiate with somebody if they don't have demands or requests or suggestions. So this is just kind of stalled out there. And of of, of course, all the media are going, Oh, my God, the sky is falling. It's not going to happen. Joe Biden is going to lose this one. Joe Biden is not going to lose this one. It's just a matter of how he's going to get there. See, the, the fact of the matter is, is anytime you deal in Congress, in the Senate particularly, and you're trying to come up with a bill of this size and... They've virtually never done it before. But even smaller bills, it takes a while. It takes a lot of dicking around because we've got a lot of egos in the Senate. All of them think they're the most powerful people in the world. Joe Manchin is kind of powerful at this point by default because he's the one Democrat that's going the other way. Yeah, I know Christian Sinema is in there, too. But she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing, and she'll go whatever Mansion goes. So we got to get Mansion straightened away, and Cinema will fall in behind. I'm sure. So as they're finally talking about this, and Joe Mansion is finally talking about the things he wants and doesn't want, it turns out it looks like in this big bill that the one thing is that's going to fall by the wayside is uh, the big effort that Joe Biden wants to take in this bill to fight climate change, particularly the clean electricity performance program that's in this bill. Now, we know that climate change is causing all kinds of problems in this country. We know that Joe Biden and a number of other people in his administration are going over to a climate summit, So Joe wanted to get something like this nailed down so he could walk with something in his pocket and tell the folks, hey, we did this, now you should do that. Problem is, is Joe Manchin wants that out of there. Now, why in the world would anybody want uh, money for climate change out of that bill? Well, I'll tell you why. Joe Manchin is a Biggest beneficiary of donations from big oil. Not to mention the coal industry, because that state is run by the coal industry. Last thing he wants is clean energy. Doesn't give a shit about the country or the ecology of this country, or the world for that matter, long as his boys in big oil and coal get their due. So by putting this... this. uh Agenda. This program in the bill, the Clean Electricity Performance Program, that's going to work against his boys. And that's where this is all coming from in the first place, why he's been standing against this. He doesn't like that because it's working against the people that put money in his fucking pocket. He doesn't care about the cleanliness of this country or this world. He just wants to take care of the guys that pay him the money. Okay, so what do you do with that? Do you argue with him about it? Do you try to sell him on it? You're never going to sell him on it because it works against his very reason for being in the Senate. So what do you do in this situation? I think Joe Biden, the progressives in the Democrat, Democratic Party, and the Democrats as a, as a whole have to look at the long game here. They have to look at the long game. You may not get everything you want now, but if you get something now, it's going to make it easier for you to get what you want later. So hear me out on this. This this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill brings a lot of good to this country. Now, if the bipartisan bill doesn't pass and the reconciliation bill doesn't pass— Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to take a huge hit, in spite of the fact that they've done a lot of other things. The perception by the voting bloc, because there's a lot of dumb people out there, will see it as total failure by the Biden administration. And that's going to cause them problems in 2022 and maybe ultimately 2024. So, what's going to happen is they're going to lose votes, they're going to lose seats. And if the worst could happen, they lose majority in the House, majority in the Senate, then Joe Biden gets nothing done for the remainder of his time in office. We know that's true because that's what the Republicans did to, to uh, Obama. And they will do it to Joe Biden just to own him, just to hopefully win the next election for the presidency in 2024. So what do we do here? Again, you got to look at the long game. And the long game here is you've got to preserve the momentum and the perception of the Democrats. Now, if you say to Joe Manchin, say, look, you sign on to this bill, we'll take out the Clean Electricity Performance Program if you sign on this bill. And if he says yes, you do that deal right now. You fucking do that deal right now, and here's why. That big bill is going to cover child care, health care, Medicare. It's going to do a lot of good for people. Put money in people's pockets. And when that's done, that's going to give a great perception of Joe Biden and the Democrats coming into 2022. Yes, you gave away the... Clean energy bill. And people are going to say, You can't give that away. We need it now. Yes, I know we need it now. But if you don't do anything, you're going to look like shit. You're going to lose in 2022, and you're not going to gain anything at all. So what you do is you give Manchin his due now. You lop off the clean electricity performance program. You pass the rest of the bill, improve the economy, improve the stock market, improve everybody's lives. Now Joe Biden's a hero. The Democrats are heroes. Come 2022, it's going to be much easier to gain seats in the House and the Senate, which is what they must do. You want to gain as many seats in the Senate as you can, not just to beat the Republicans, but to make Joe Manchin and Cinemas' effect on the Senate, negligible. You want to take the power away from Manchin and Cinema. They are going to be a thorn in the side of the Democrats until you do such. Now, the thing about it is, if you pass no bills because you're sticking to your guns, you're losing. You lose everything. Nothing gets done. So if you give that away, you sign the bill, get the goodwill, get some more power in 2022 or even next year, then what you do is when you've got everybody on your side, you take that clear electricity performance program and you shove it down their fucking throat because now they don't have any power. They would love to see nothing happen because then everybody will say, well, we'll vote for the Republicans now because the Democrats couldn't do anything. I hope the Democrats are smarter than that, the progressives and the regular Democrats. We need to get something done. And as long as it's doing a lot of good for the people, that's the good first step. Here's the important thing to know. Even if that bill is $2 trillion coupled with the $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill, that is historical in its own right. That will do more good for this country than we've seen since FDR and the New Deal. So this is a big deal. Joe Biden gets this passed. He's going to be a huge hero, and that's going to make 2022 and 2024 much easier. So don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Give Joe Manchin what what he wants for now. Get what you want, and then once you have it, go after the other shit. Go after it hard and fast. That's really the only way to deal with this. It's kind of a no-brainer, and I hope people's egos are in check enough where they can understand that. They get this thing done, and then we focus on the other as soon as the big bill and the bipartisan bill is done. Now, we know that Joe Biden has acknowledged that uh, he's going to have to settle for less than $3.5 trillion. Now, the progressives will tell you, well, we started out with $6 million. We negotiated down to 3500000000000 trillion. We've already come down from that. We shouldn't have to come down any farther. I get it, man. And in any negotiation where each side is equal, that makes sense. But unfortunately, that's not the position you're in now. you got Joe Manchin in your way. So what you need to do is pass what you got, get Joe Manchin the fuck out of your way, and then do what you want. Something very serious to think about. Now, Joe Biden is involved in this negotiation. So believe it or not, it's negotiations with his own freaking party. He's got the progressives, the Democrats, and now Manchin and Cinema. So Biden is sticking his nose in the middle of it and helping to negotiate this. He says he's got messages for Manchin and Cinema. It'll be interesting to see what he says, because here's the deal. Joe's been in the Senate for forty years. Uh, you can you can like him or dislike him. He is experienced, and he knows about negotiating negotiating deals, and he knows the angles and the leverage in the Senate. Right now, the Democrats don't have a lot of leverage because they got two working against them. So take what you can get now, get it done fast and furious, and then use that success, use that win, and use that momentum to get the rest of what you want. We'll see how they play this out, but i got to believe Joe Biden is thinking the same thing. He knows better than just to give it away, and all these media people that are saying, oh, it might not happen, it might not, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Have you never covered Congress before? Something's going to happen. It may not be all of what we hope for, but it'll be enough to make Biden and the Democrats look good and help them in 2022. I wanted to uh, talk about something else Joe Biden did today. You know, we're talking about the select committee, and uh, we're talking about the subpoenas that went out. Now, Steve Bannon is refusing to comply with the subpoenas. So come next week, the House Select Committee is going to vote to refer him to the DOJ for criminal contempt. It will go to the full House, and that will pass because it's a Democratic majority, and they will send it to the DOJ, Garrett, uh, Merrick Garland and the U.S. Uh, attorney now the question is, what is the US Attorney going to do? What is Garrick I'm going keep saying it wrong, Merrick Garland. We'll change Merrick Garland's name just so it can fit my mouth. But anyway, there's some talk that they might go easy on it, may not prosecute it, whatever. By law they're supposed to put it in front of the grand jury, so I would assume they'd do that. But uh, you know, usually these people think, well, you know, we're, we don't want to make it look like a political thing. Fuck you, it's not a political thing. Somebody breaks the law, you need to charge them. If it was me or you or anybody else that's normal, there would be no question in your mind. But you're worried about politics. Let the politicians worry about politics. You worry about the law and enforcing the law. But here's the thing. Now, when Joe... Biden came into office, he said that he would not try to control anything in the DOJ, and that's what presidents are supposed to do. That said, Donald Trump did everything he could to use and manipulate and control the DOJ all four years. That's why things went so badly for the DOJ and Donald Trump. Now, Joe Biden said he wouldn't do that, but somebody— in the media asked him today, should the DOJ file charges against Steve Bannon and anybody else not complying with the subpoenas? And Joe Biden said, they should prosecute these people. That's their job. They should do it. Now there's plenty of people in an uproar on the Republican side who will say, oh, Joe said he wasn't going to uh, try to Make the DOJ do anything. Try to control the DOJ. That's not what Joe was doing. Joe's the president of the United States. He's dealing with an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. He's saying people that committed crimes should be prosecuted. And that's what he's telling them to do. But expect the Republicans to come out and see. See, he's involved in the DOJ. He's manipulating the DOJ That is not what he said he would do. He said he'd leave them alone and let them decide for themselves. Well, he's not sticking his nose in the DOJ. He just offered an opinion on what he thought, and it's the right opinion. Now, if Merrick Garland feels pressure because of that, good. He shouldn't have to have pressure to do his fucking job. And at this point, I'm not sure about Merrick Garland. He seems too weak. He seems too unwilling to do what he's supposed to do. He's still got Trump appointees in the d o j and he's been there what for six months? Jesus, I'm a little concerned about Merrick Garland at this point. We'll see what he does in the long run, but Joe Biden said he they should prosecute. We'll see if Merrick Garland does. If they don't, we've got huge problems. That means this Congress has no teeth. The DOJ has no teeth. And that anybody who wants to try to commit an insurrection against this country gets a free fucking pass. We can't have that. Because all that will do is cause more people to consider that as an option. So don't blame Joe Biden for trying to manipulate the DOJ. That's not what he was doing. He was giving his opinion as president of the United States. He's entitled to do that. He didn't tell Merrick Garland what to do or how to do it like Donald Trump did with, uh, with uh, his attorneys general, and they were numerous. Uh, but, but Joe Biden is the leader of this country. He hired or appointed Merrick Garland. He is Merrick Garland's direct superior. Now, he's leaving them to try to be as autonomous as possible because that's the ethical thing to do. But that doesn't mean that Joe Biden can't express his opinion, which he did. So when the Republicans start screaming about this, how Joe's involved in the DOJ, shut the fuck up. You didn't say a goddamn word when Donald Trump was doing the exact same thing, except really doing it. Trying to overturn this country by co-opting an assistant attorney general in Jeff Clark to try to send out fake letters to the states he lost so that they would stop certifying the election. You got no room to talk. Joe Biden isn't doing that. Joe Biden's looking out for the betterment of this country and trying to make insurrectionists accountable for their acts. If this was 150 years ago, these fucking people would be hanging from a gallows. So to make them accountable and put them in jail is not a bad thing. And when Steve Bannon gets a subpoena from Congress, which is strong as getting a subpoena from a court, if you don't show up, you are breaking the law. And you deserve to be indicted, prosecuted, and punished for breaking that law. It's a simple thing. It's only a year sentence, dude. You had a bigger sentence when when, when uh, Donald Trump pardoned you. You can do a year standing on your head. And I'm looking forward to you doing just that. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, well... As I said, Joe Biden's focusing on the infrastructure bills now and waiting to get that done, but he did give us a little hint about something. We got the voters' rights bill, and for whatever reason, no Republican wants to vote for it, and we have um, need 60 votes on this thing if they're going to assert the filibuster. The filibuster, of course, is where it takes uh, 51 to a 49 vote in a simple majority, and turns it in to be necessary to have um, a supermajority, which is 60 votes. And because the Voting Rights Bill isn't uh, having to do anything with the budget, it has to pass the Senate. Now, if the Republicans say we want to use the filibuster, which they most certainly will, now you got to get 60 votes, and you're not going to get 60 votes because the Republicans have already told you we're not going to vote for anything you do. So, of course, the filibuster comes into play. And we've been talking about that a long time. This filibuster thing has been going on for decades and decades and decades. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's transformed and it's become a rubber stamp from who, for whoever is the minority. Initially, it was somebody had to come up to a podium and talk forever and ever and ever and ride out time. It took work, and clearly senators, Republican particularly, don't like to do work. So it's easier just to sign something and say, filibuster, now you need 60 votes, and then nothing gets done. Now, the three people that have been against the filibuster up to this point are Joe Manchin, and uh, Christian cinema and of all people joe biden well recently as they're continuing to have problems with these voting rights bill joe biden has hinted that uh, yeah i might be okay with uh, cutting out or getting rid of the filibuster well that's a big move it didn't sound like he was going to come off of that Now, as much as the infrastructure bills are important, and they are to the party, to the country, to the people, that voting rights bill is the whole game in this country. If the Republicans are going to be able to continue to do what they do by suppressing votes and making it difficult for people to vote, we're all in trouble in this country. Absolute trouble in this country. So this voting rights bill or voting reform or whatever they call it has to be done. This federal bill has to be used to negate all this ridiculous shit in Texas, Florida, Iowa, wherever they're doing it. The federal government needs to neutralize that shit or we're going to go from being a democracy to an autocracy or fascist or whatever, authoritarian. And we just can't afford to do that. I think Joe Biden is finally realizing that uh, maybe the filibuster, doing something with the filibuster is the only way to get this done. He knows how crucial this is. Now, Joe Manchin has continually tried to say, we got to do it bipartisan. I can get the votes. And each time, he's never gotten the votes. So now he's getting a little frustrated. He may not agree to cut out or get rid of the filibuster completely, but he may be willing to do something special with the filibuster so we can get the voting rights bill passed. He's all for that, so he's going to have to make some choices, choices that he may not want to make. Kristen Cinema is going to have to follow behind and do the same thing. So once these infrastructure bills get passed, count on them going hot and heavy on the voting rights bill. And that filibuster may change or go away completely because there are some other things that we need to address and the Republicans won't help. I've said it before that uh, one way to get it fixed, in my mind, is to do with the filibuster exactly what they do with the reconciliation option. You can use the reconciliation option once a year. But the filibuster, it was used sparingly when it first came into, uh, into effect, but now it's become abused. It's used all the time. It's just for obstructionism. So the filibuster isn't being used the way it was intended. So if you can only use reconciliation one time a year, how about you can only use the filibuster one time a year? This is going to make you think about what you need to block and what you don't need to block. You don't just get to block everything because you're assholes. You only block the things that are important to you. Now, I've never heard anybody else talk about that option other than me. I don't know if it's that they didn't think about it or it can't be done. I don't know. I'm just a guy sitting in my living room doing a fucking podcast. So what do I know? I'm just looking at it as a reasonable, a reasonable resolution to it. I mean, if you're limiting reconciliation options, why not limit the, uh, the option to use the filibuster? Because if you don't limit the filibuster, these people will continue to abuse it, and nothing will get done for this country. And that is the exact opposite of why they are where they are in Congress, in the Senate, in the House. They're there to do things for us and the country. But if they have this stupid fucking rule that they're now abusing to make it so they don't have to do anything, well, that's a problem. So the fact that Joe Biden said, yeah, maybe we can do something with the filibuster. And Joe Manchin getting a little embarrassed and upset because he's not able to pull the Republican votes like he thinks he can. Maybe there's a change coming in this situation. Fact is there's got to be a change come. This voting rights bill has to be enacted, has to be passed, otherwise this country as a democracy is in bad shape. Well, we we of course had the Texas abortion thing going on. It's on, it's off, it's on again. One court said, no, you can't do that and stop the abortion bans in Texas. And then appellate court came in and said, oh, yeah, you can let it run until we figure this thing out. So the abortion ban is back in effect in Texas. Well, then they brought it all the way up to the Supreme Court to see if they could put a hold on this until such time that they can give oral arguments about it in front of the Supreme Court and get a final answer. Now, the problem with that, of course, is the reason we have these laws in fucking Texas is because of the Supreme Court. As much as they don't like to be thought of as a partisan group because they're supposed to be impartial, the fact is they're extremely partisan. And the perception of the Supreme Court has dropped a lot. I think there's 35%, 40% think that the Supreme Court is legitimate. That's a serious problem for an organization like the Supreme Court. They're supposed to be the best. They're supposed to be above it all. But if the majority of this country think they're partisan, that's a real problem for them. So now this after this appellate reinstating the anti-abortion laws, they now bring it up to the Supreme Court. Now what the Supreme Court could have done is say, all right, let's, let's just put a hold on this. Let's have more arguments and, and get this figured out. That's not what they did. What they did was they said, yeah, you can keep going, whatever you want to do. Have the anti-abortion ban. Just do that. But we'll take oral arguments on November 1st. Now, that doesn't mean anything's going to happen on November 1st other than the oral arguments. It could take a month. It could be take two months before they even come back with a response to the oral arguments. So that means the abortion ban will continue in the state of Texas until such time that the Supreme Court hands down a decision. But in two decisions, they went against abortions' rights and what's in the Constitution. So is it reasonable to believe when they get this third chance after oral arguments that they will uh, go the other way? I don't think so. The Supreme Court is deserving of a lot of heat from this country and from the public they are partisan and they should not be once this is done and once things start to open up there was something that was talked about prior to the election in 2020 and that was a concern that joe biden would stack the supreme court and what that basically means is add more members to the supreme court Now, what that would effectively do, if Joe Biden's adding more members, it would even out the Supreme Court. The Republicans wouldn't have the majority again. And that's something that Joe Biden can do, and he should do. I mean, let's be honest. When the Supreme Court was started, what was there, five or six on there? Initially, now there's nine, but this country has grown. The workload is heavier. There's more going on. This court should have been expanded long ago. But as long as whoever was in in the majority felt comfortable, they weren't going to do anything. Well, right now, it's our country on the line. Once the infrastructure bill gets passed and we get through the voting rights bill, they really have to address the Supreme Court. They call it stacking, and somebody told me, well, that sounds negative. How about we just call it expanding? I don't give a fuck what you call it. But in realistic terms, in my mind, if you truly want this court to be bipartisan, if you want to make it nine members or 12 members, in realistic terms, to make it fair, there should be no edge to any party in the Supreme Court. That's contrary to what the court's supposed to represent. Just because they say, I'm bipartisan, if you're a conservative and you go on the Supreme Court, what you personally think is going to come through in your decisions. So what I think should be done, it'll never be done, I'm sure. They should have like um, 11 justices. No matter what happens, there's 11 justices. There's always five justices. Conservatives, five liberals, and one moderate in the middle on either side. That's the way to make it fair. That way they can truly look at what the uh, facts of the case are and decide it on the fact and the law, as opposed to your personal opinions or your partisan attitudes. Unfortunately, that's not what we have now. What do we have? Five uh, five conservatives, John Roberts kind of a conservative, and three liberals. So there's no way there's ever going to be a liberal decision or even a moderate decision because these are far-right freaks that are always going to be partisan. As much as they say they aren't, and as much as they whine and cry and worried about being perceived as such, that's what they are. They have proved it time after time in the last couple of years. If we want the Supreme Court to be fair, it should be equal members of the parties in that Supreme Court. Then we can have something fair. Anytime it's partisan, whether it be strong liberal or strong Republican, you're going to get a bunch of stuff rammed through. And is that fair to the country as a whole? I don't think so. I don't even think that's what this country needs or wants. So there has to be some dramatic changes to our Supreme Court. Because they're doing some fucked up shit lately. And uh, it doesn't look good on them. I think people need to speak out, push back on these folks, and if they feel uncertain or sensitive about the perception of the people, good. Maybe that will cause some change in what we get out of our Supreme Court. Well, a couple of bits of good news. You know that uh, when Donald Trump or when when the Select Committee asked to get all the uh, records from the National Archives regarding January 6th. Of course, Donald Trump sued, said he had executive privilege. We know he doesn't have executive privilege, and we know that he has no case. But that's never bothered Donald Trump, because what he wants to do is cause a delay, muck it up, run the clock out, whatever. Well, here's something interesting. The courts have come back on that lawsuit about his executive privilege and releasing the documents from the National Archive, and they've set a date for court as November 4th. So if Donald Trump was trying to delay this shit, well, he's going to have a problem, because it's November 4th when the court case starts. It probably won't last long, if it even gets taken at all, because he has no basis for the lawsuit. But it should be fairly quick, and after he does that then he'll probably try to take it to the Supreme Court or whatever. But Donald Trump will do what he always does, and that's fucking lose or fail. That's all Donald Trump does. So at least the court is fast-tracking this particular case, and on November 4th we should start to see some kind of uh, action on these documents coming from the National Archives. So it's good. It's not going to be two months, five months, ten months down the road. It's going to be November 4th in a couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens there. And the last thing that's kind of interesting, and this has got to be a problem for Donald Trump, he's certainly got to be nervous about this. Jeffrey Clark, he was formerly of the DOJ, will testify in front of the House Select Committee on Friday. Now, if you don't know who Jeffrey Clark is, he is a pivotal guy in this January 6th thing and in the trying to stop the steel situation. Jeffrey Clark was this low-end assistant attorney general dealing with farming or agriculture or something like that. He was really nobody in the DOJ. But Donald Trump had his ear, he had Donald Trump's ear, and they were working in the background. Now, when they started talking to Georgia, Donald Trump started talking to Georgia, trying to get them to flip the election. And, of course, he was getting nowhere with that. He was getting upset. So between Donald Trump and Jeffrey Clark, they came up with a master plan. It seems that Jeffrey Clark, even though he is a nobody in the DOJ, drafted a letter to be sent to Georgia, and ultimately all the states that Donald Trump lost in. And this letter would say, the DOJ has found all kinds of election fraud, and uh, bad voting tabulations, and machines that were fraudulent. And the intent was to send it to Georgia, Secretary of State and other Secretary of States and other states around the country, and say... There's all this shit going on. You need to stop the certification. Just stop everything until we figure this out. Well, unfortunately, in order to get out of the DOJ, it had to go up to the Attorney General, Attorney General Rosen, under Donald Trump. And when Rosen saw this, he said, this is absolute bullshit. There is no proof. There are no facts. There is no information that there was any election fraud. In fact, quite the opposite. So Rosen didn't sign it. And the letter didn't go out. But Jeffrey Clark, he was in the thick of it. He apparently was working in cahoots with Donald Trump. Now, people like him typically will try to avoid being in front of any committee, let alone the House Select Committee. But he's agreed to do it, and he'll do it on Friday. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, this clown has got to be scared shitless because what he did is tantamount to treason. And he's probably going to go to jail. So he's going to try to work something out to cut his time or not go to jail. He's going to jail one way or another. You can't deny what he did. And they already interviewed former Attorney General Rosen, and he told him what he did. So this guy has no chance. He has no reason to run the clock out because he's fucked no matter what he does. So he's going to step up on Friday, and he's one of the first people that close to Donald Trump and in cahoots with Donald Trump during the Stop the Steal campaign, and he's going to testify. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. It'll be interesting to see if he invokes the Fifth Amendment. He might do that. Or maybe he'll just sing like a little bird because he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. Fortunately, though, that's the first step. The ice has been broken. And somebody close to Donald Trump, especially in the circumstances around Stop the Steal and trying to overturn state's elections, he is one of the main cogs in this. So to get him to step up voluntarily is quite a deal. Quite a coup, (laughs) no pun intended. But he's going to talk, it sounds like, and it'll be interesting to see what he says. Now, clearly, if he states that he had Donald Trump in his ear and was working in conjunction with Donald Trump, well, then Donald Trump is fucked because it's now proved that he was a big part of it. I mean, besides the fact we have audio recordings and video recordings of him trying to coerce people into flipping the election, There will be no denying it. No court in America would find him innocent with that kind of information and this kind of witness. So it's going to be interesting to see. He's coming up Friday. I don't know that it will be on TV, but he is going to be interviewed. A lot of this might go behind chambers' doors. I'm looking forward to the time when we do see some on TV. We need to expose these people to the general public so they know exactly what is going on. There is no argument about it. You can't tell me January 6th didn't happen. You can't tell me Donald Trump didn't incite the riot and maybe be involved in in, uh, (laughs) in inciting the riot. You know, it's funny. During the House Select Committee... Jamie Raskin, who's on the committee, also a law professor, just tore Jim Jordan and uh, Jim Banks apart, tore them apart. Apparently, this upset um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And because she's an idiot and she's tactless, during a break, she walked up and uh, said to Jamie Raskin, How come you don't investigate all the murder around BLM? Jamie Raskin said to her, "You know what? That's a good idea. We should look into Kyle Rittenhouse and the two BLM members that he shot and killed." And uh, then Marjorie Taylor Green, <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Green said, "You think this is a joke?" <laughs> and uh, and then Liz Cheney stepped up and said, uh, "No, we don't think it's a joke. But maybe you should go back and focus on Jewish space lasers." <laughs> And, of course, Marjorie Taylor got upset. I never said that. Shut up, Marjorie. Go sit down, you idiot. You're lucky you're even in the chambers. You've been stripped of every power that you have. You're almost worthless here. In fact, you're more than worthless. You're a detriment to this body. (laughs) It's interesting, all the things that are going on out there. It's one of the... (laughs) most confusing times the last couple of years with all the investigations and problems and corruption and criminality. It's kind of a scary time for a lot of folks, but I'm a firm believer that things will work out for the best. People will be held accountable, and we ultimately will get back on track and back to normal in this country. You really have to look at it positively. If you don't, if you're negative about it, if you're a doomsdayer, What's the point? Why continue? You have to put some trust in some things. And if you don't put trust in the law and you don't put trust in your government, put trust in God or whoever you follow. Because ultimately, it always turns out. It always works out. We've gone through many rough times in this country, in this world, but somehow we always come out the other side. And in this case, I'm a firm believer that we will here too. Because like I said, if you can't see it positively, what's the point of going on? All right, we're going to wrap things up for another Rational Boomer podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer podcast, and leave me a voicemail message. Always interested to hear what you have to say. So you have a great rest of the week and into the weekend. And I will talk to you again very shortly. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.